Good morning. It is truly good to see everybody here. And, uh, you know, when you pull in the parking lot and got to search for a parking space, that's I'm all about that right there. That's good stuff. Uh, it is good to be here with you. I hope that uh, you're in a place uh, where you feel uh, comfortable, yet also challenged uh, in the songs that we've been singing, the commitment that we've made in those songs, and uh, through the Lord's Supper this morning, it is good to be here with you, and uh, came went into uh, the Shoals area yesterday, did some filming for CYC that's coming up soon, and excited about that, so had plenty, kind of got all my goofing off out of the way, so maybe that'll do me for a couple of days, and Whitney will be able to put up with me uh, since I got some of that out of my system, but this morning, we'll be in Psalm 120 and 121 uh, and kind of bouncing all over the place a little bit towards the end of our time together. But it is always a wonderful experience because uh, you truly never know who's going to be here uh, because we got so many people going and coming. And uh, that's kind of what this uh, passage is about, the going and the coming and, and going about. And, um, and Jesus uh, said it very well and the idea of you know, as you go, as you go, you, you live the life that uh, Jesus has called you to live, and people uh, won't be able to help but see a difference in your life. And uh, sometimes that's, that's all people need. They don't really need a lot of words. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we have to have the perfect words, we have to have the right words, and uh, hopefully uh, from my preaching you've come to understand that that's not the case uh, because I very rarely have the perfect words. Uh, in the way eloquent, at least. Uh, but we have a tremendous example in Moses that uh, that's not an excuse. Uh, if you're not eloquent, that's not uh, a reason enough to, to not speak of the greatness of God. And, and so often people care about stories. That's why the Bible is made up of so many. They want to know what has God done in your life? What has God changed in your life? How have you seen Him work in your life? And so let me encourage you in that, that uh, whatever story you have, you have one, and, and everybody does. And whether you feel comfortable sharing all the details of that, God knows the details, uh, but the most important thing is to talk about what He's done for you. And uh, the, the thing that grabs most people's attention is, is what has He done for you when things weren't going great? Uh, and that, that's the Old Testament, really. It's not really the heroes of faith, it's really God's story and how despite uh, these guys and their bad decisions on occasions, he still is who he says he is. So if we look at Psalm, we continue our study. Psalm 120 through 134 are considered the ascent psalms. These are pilgrimages. A lot of them have to do with going up to Jerusalem and some of the, the landmarks. I don't know if you, if you travel a lot or have traveled a lot. You know, there may be songs that you sing or hear on the radio and it brings back memories. Or maybe there are uh, things that you see uh, on the way, on the journey, that remind you and give you memories. Uh, the, uh, the Hebrews were certainly uh, those people. We'll talk about some of those instances. Uh, if you've ever uh, traveled to Gulf Shores or Orange Beach and you've taken I-65, there's this ginormous peach on the side of the road, right? And, and that's kind of one of those things where you're like, okay, we're getting close. But then you realize, not really. We're really not really close, but we're closer. And uh, that's not something that's new. Uh, that's as old as traveling itself. And so we think about these things that the Jews had set up along the path. 
that would remind them and help them to remember the story to tell how God had done the things that he had done. And so the Psalms kind of wrap that together. And we've talked about the importance of the presence of God to the Jew. They had a deep desire to be in the presence of God. And God has a deep desire to be in the presence of his people. Although God is also everywhere, there's a difference in being welcomed in a place rather than kind of having to be that annoying voice that shows up. And so uh, sometimes it's hard for me when we sing, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, well, we're not really in, in control of where he can or can't go, but there is a difference. I think we've all experienced the difference of being welcomed somewhere. We hope you feel that way this morning with us. Uh, and versus you're kind of a burden. You're just there. And uh, God does not want to feel that way, and he certainly doesn't want you to feel that way. Uh, but God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And he's going to go and he's going to do the things that are necessary to get our attention, even if it's a talking donkey on occasion. So uh, Psalm 120, like I said, through 134 are the ascent psalms as they are going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So we'll read both uh, in their entirety, uh, and then we'll unpack some of the stuff that's, that's in there. Uh, verse 1 of chapter or Psalm 120. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And then verse 1 of 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who have made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so we look at Psalm 120 and we see in verses 2 through 4 this combination of harmful speech as weapons. And I always grew up, you know, your words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones, right? But your words will never hurt me. And that's not necessarily a biblical uh, response. That yes, things that people say... Uh, and, and especially in this time period in the world, people say things like this and they mean it. Uh, we kind of have sarcasm and we have these different meanings for things that some people sometimes people get and some people don't. And very rarely if we're talking like this verse, we really mean we're fixing to hurt somebody. We're just kind of threatening, you know, trying to give this language. Well, at this time period when people said, hey, we're going to show up and take your stuff, usually they meant it. You know, this is not something where they're being cynical or sarcastic, although these are psalms, they're songs, they're going to use imagery like that. And so there's a little bit more meaning, more threat uh, in the words. And then verse 5, when he says that Meshach, that is the northern border uh, of kind of the land here, and then the southern border is Kedar. He says, I can't go anywhere where there's not some problem or some issue. I'm tired of turning and finding that there is no help from those who are around me. And so he talks about Jerusalem being this representation of peace. There is a total alienation. I don't know if you've ever been in a large room of people and felt completely alone. I have. 
right? There's a reason why I'll probably never go to a game in Knoxville, right? Because I will feel very, very, very alone. Uh, and so we may have experienced that. Sometimes it's like that, and sometimes it's like, man, I, I'm in a room full, of, and I feel completely alone. We, we hope that that's not what you feel like today. We want you to leave understanding that you're not alone, that we have all struggled. We all have things that could be better in our life. And yet, just as the psalmist wrote thousands of years ago, our help is who? It's the Lord. We're not looking to a place, a specific place, but it's the presence, right? It's what's so important about Jerusalem. What's well, the presence of God in that place? And so you look at verses 6 through 7, and what do they hate? They hate peace, shalom. They hate Jerusalem. They hate peace. I think we all know people in our life who love drama, right? There are people I love. I love them. I want the best for them. And yet I can't spend a lot of time with them because they love drama. They hate peace. They don't, and to some degree, they may not even know what peace looks like because they've never experienced in their home and in their life. And so they, they're uncomfortable in being peaceful. And so when they see it in us, it's this foreign aspect that we, you know, you got to destroy it because I don't understand it. And I don't know how to deal with it. So he's, he's speaking to that. says they, they hate Jerusalem because God's presence brings a peace. And I love how Paul puts it in the New Testament, right? It's a peace that we don't understand. You can't look at Paul's life and go, oh man, that guy's got all kinds of peace. Shipwrecked, beaten. We go through the whole list. We won't. And yet he says, I have this peace wherever I am, this contentment with what I have. And over and over again, you think that started the conversation? I wonder how many times that started the conversation. That Paul really had to bring up Jesus. And then we know those times are, are represented in Scripture. But I imagine there were times where it was like, man, what's with you? What, what is so weird? Like, you should be losing your mind right now because everything you know is on its head. And that's really what Jesus did in the life of Saul of Tarsus. He came along and he said, hey, all these things that you think you've got right, let's flip that on its head and now you're close. You're getting closer. And he says, in the face of all that's going on, I have this peace. That's not weird to Paul. He had read about it in the Psalms all of his life. There was an expectation of this peace that would come. And some of that was... Tied to military conquest. And I think that's where Jesus came along and said, Oh no, it's, it's not tied to any circumstance. In fact, it's in the face of any circumstance. And so they hate Jerusalem, not because of maybe its location. I know there are people today who, I mean, that's a sore subject. Uh, even among people in our own country. Uh, about the location of Jerusalem and why it's so important. And here we have all the way back in Psalms, like there are going to be people who hate this place and what it stands for and what it represents. And there are people who hate the place and don't even know it, know why. And we know because Scripture tells us that it represents the presence of God to some degree. And then Jesus comes along and says, oh no, it's not going to be this temple. It's, it's the temple that's going to be rebuilt on the stone of help which then he speaks to. Psalm 121, the first two verses are the pilgrim's response and statement that, yes, where do I look? I'm not going to look to the mountains. And the mountains 
We don't necessarily think about it today, but the mountains provided a natural boundary, a natural protection. Like if you wanted to come and fight, then you had to be able to have the technology and the ability to climb these mountains to come and get us. I think about Sneedville that we've been to on some mission trips. I mean, like untouched from the world almost, you know. But there is a Dollar General there, right? Because they're everywhere. You go to the moon, there's a Dollar General. But that's about it in Sneedville because why? Like some of those people look at them, you go, hey, you're struggling with cancer. Well, you know, I've never been over the mountain. Why, why aren't you going to this hospital? I've never been over the mountain. And they're like, okay, all right. Well, I, that was not the response I was expecting. And so he says, do I look to the mountains? No. That's a place. John 4, remember? One day, we'll, you know, we're, we worship in this mountain. You guys worship in the temple. Well, there's coming a day. Where wherever the Spirit is, the truth will be found. And it won't be tied down. There's no cage for God. He goes where He will, and He, you can worship Him in spirit and truth. In verses 3 through 8, you get the priest's response. And I think it's important to note that the pilgrim here says that He's my help and He's my creator. He's both. He fills both of those roles. When we think of help, I think sometimes of an assistant. Right? Like... You know, I, I'm, I'm accomplishing these things, and I'm kind of in charge. You know, maybe I'm thinking as a head coach, former head coach. You know, well, I'm kind of calling the shots here, and then I've got this assistant who comes along early in my career, right? That's what I thought. And then later it was like, whoa, we would not even be half what we are without these guys. I think of, you know, Coach Eaton and Coach Whitworth, especially Coach Eaton. I mean, dude was phenomenal, you know? And we looked good because those guys were good at what they did. That's more like it, right? That's what he's saying here. He's not saying, well, I've got everything kind of going smoothly. And then every once in a while God shows up or maybe I turn to God when things aren't exactly how I want. No, he's saying, no, you're what gets me through every single day. Without you, I am lost. I don't know which way's up. I don't know which way Jerusalem is. There is no Jerusalem without you. Because then on top of that, you're the creator. And, and I acknowledge that. And the priest kind of adds a little meat to the bone, right? That, that's what a preacher is supposed to do. Like, you guys need to be studying on your own. Don't take this guy's words for truth. Uh, I'm just trying to add a little meat to the bone. Maybe think of some things maybe you haven't before. And so that's just being an extra tool there. This verse, help, when we see that, the, the Hebrew word is easer. Uh, maybe you've heard the song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Ebenezer is a stone of help. And so that's kind of the word here. That's what Jesus uh, plays off of because that's who he is when he says, you know, I'm a stone that the, reject, the builders rejected. And there's this rock maybe in the middle of the path and you've got to figure out what you're going to do with it. You can either trip over it, which is what Pharisees, Sadducees, and people who don't believe in Jesus do. They, they hate the peace that it brings. Or you can build your entire house on it. And those are really the choices that people have to make. He is creator. He is Elohim, Genesis 1-1, John 1-1, 1 John 1-1. It's almost like John does not want you to miss who this Jesus guy is because he is your helper and your creator. Paul talks about how he is the crown jewel. He is what it is all about. He is what ties it all together. And he's for us. Think about that. 
Romans 8. He is for us. Who can be against us if our helper and creator is for us? We have this messed up, and even in Paul's day, this mythology, right, that we've got to appease. Acts 17, we've got to, you know, we've got to appease. We see with Baal, right, and Elisha, and they're over there cutting themselves and doing everything under the sun to try and get their God's attention. And don't miss the fact that he barely utters a word and God answers. Right? He doesn't need us. There's nothing that we provide that God doesn't have on his, on his own. And yet he says, I'd love to you, for you to participate in this. Right, The Hebrew writer that we just read, what is he saying? You can neglect this if you want, but you are missing the point that you've been invited into this great adventure and this journey and this to see the wonders of God. There were people believed that when they got to the Red Sea, that there were some Jews who said, we're going to go our own way. And they went their own way. They, they even wrote on stone tablets that we have of where they went their own direction, I think. Yeah, it was difficult in the wilderness, but think about all the things that you miss. Now, I have a healthy FOMO, the fear of missing out, that would drive me home. It's like sometimes we do that. And when we consider God as just an assistant that shows up when we're a little overwhelmed, He does that. But look at the big picture of what we're actually missing out on. So the word here, guard or keep, and I think immediately of God, guard, and direct, right? There's, I'm hitting all these words that we all see, see folks use all the time, right? And that's brought out in Psalms here, this, this verb of guard to keep. It appears six times in this one psalm, that psalm of 121. It reminds us of a mobile God in comparison to Egypt's gods who were what? Needed help. Needed appeasing to do what they were supposed to do. Oh, well, we'll do this so the Nile will flood. And then we'll do this and you'll do that. And God says, I, I'm a, in a covenant with you. I, I am more faithful than you can ever be to me. Because it's not based on your performance of these activities. God is God. And He is who He is. And He loves because that's who He is. See, I love because. Right? I may like one of my kids better today than I did yesterday. And vice versa, because it's a roller coaster, right? And there are things that I love about them, but it's a struggle to love them just because they are. That's who God is. Like, I love you because that's who I am. I can't say that about me. I love you because that's who... No, that's not me, right? I'm working on that, and the Holy Spirit is... Bring me along on that journey. He doesn't need us to move around and do certain things to be effective like they were. And God comes in and He just shows them who is in control. To where Pharaoh at the end of the day has to go, okay, go. But notice when they go, what happens? The Egyptians start giving them things. That just blows my mind. Right? We can't wait to get rid of you. Please get out of our sight. All you remind us of is death. Leave us. But as you go, here's all of our gold and silver. Yeah, Maybe it was to help them go along. You know, sometimes you may give people gas money like, hey, 
I'm so ready to get rid of you. I'll pay for a full tank of gas just so you'll move on, right? I'll help you load up and take your stuff. Maybe that was what it was. But God had provided yet again in the going and the coming. In the going and the coming. Think of how much that consists of our life. I went to Muscle Shoals on Friday, came back yesterday. What am I thinking about today? Where all have I got to go this week? The going and the coming. How much of my life as a teacher is a going and a coming, right? Got these middle school boys first period, and they can't wait till 9 o'clock rolls around so they can get their stuff and go to another class and set for, in that one, probably an hour and a half so that they can get ready, go to another class. It's the going and the coming. He says, God is with you in the going and the coming, and he is going to provide things in the going and the coming. Think about Paul, right? One minute from the next, he has no idea. I mean, Philip, what? He disappears and shows up somewhere else. Hey, Peter, there's going to be a time where you won't know where you're going, but the Spirit will guard you, guide you like the wind. You'll be here and there in the going and the coming. But trust that I will provide. Verse 8, an expression of perfection or protection. The Lord will keep you. You're going out. You're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Exodus 12, 35 through 36 is the reference for the Israelites leaving and the Egyptians going, oh, by the way, here's some gold and silver. Take what we need. You know, it's like when my kids will leave their grandparents home, right? It's, you know, hey, I would like that. Okay, it's yours. Take it. I'm like, they don't need that. What do they need with this metal thing? They don't need it, but it's, it's theirs. You just take it. You just go, you know. But what? We don't have room for that. I never forget the first Christmas we had the kids. I had to make two trips to Albertville to get all the Christmas. That is wild. That is crazy. That's what we have here. Like, hey, you've come and effectively destroyed our entire economy. Would you like to take the rest of what we have as a parting gift? Well, sure. But then what do they do? They get out in the wilderness and what? You brought us out here to die. And I'm not casting shade because I do the same thing. I'll go to my house today. It'll be warm as I want it to be warm. I got two cars. I got all I could possibly want. When Christmas or my birthday rolls around, I have no idea what to tell people. I, I don't, and the first thing I find that doesn't go my way, he brought me out here to die. You know, Can't believe it. He provides us. He prepares us in the going and the coming. Deuteronomy 6, he says, when you go into the cities that you didn't build and you drink from wells that you didn't dig and you eat the food from gardens that you didn't prepare, take care because you'll forget me. And you'll think that you did that when you didn't. And we must struggle with the same. Deuteronomy 31, 6, he says, I'll never forsake you. We put a lot of stock in Jesus saying that, but he said all the way back in Deuteronomy, and we've got to be careful we don't fall in the same trap that the Jews fell into in questioning God's ability to take care for us and never forsake us. In Hebrews 13, 5, he quotes that just a few chapters after Hebrews 10. And sometimes we come together as a body. Doesn't mean we always get along. Doesn't mean we always see eye to eye. Doesn't mean that we don't annoy each other from time to time. But the Hebrew writers like the benefit of being together will always outweigh the being apart. 
It's just the way it is. We need each other. And imagine a God who doesn't even know the word need, really, seeing what we need and caring enough to say, hey, you need this. You need this encouragement. You need to be together when at all possible. I want to look very quickly as we wrap up our time together, Genesis 28, and to see that this is not a new thing. I think sometimes us New Testament preachers, we oftentimes present things as though they were new and new, when really everybody who wrote in the New Testament was highly impacted by the old, and that's an understatement to say the least. But we see this in the life of Jacob, and I love seeing the blessing of God in the life of Jacob because he's a schemer, right? He's underhanded, and I guess the pun may be intended there, but he is what we might look at. We might not look at this guy and go, oh, what a hero. I mean, this guy just tore it up, right? He just never made a mistake. No, he's always looking out for who? Jacob, which sounds like my name should be Jacob because the first thing I always think about is how can I make this to my advantage? And we see here in chapter 28, there's this idea of a stone, and it's not new. And this would be a stone that would be set up along the path that people would see, much like his well. And they would remember that no matter how much we scheme, no matter how much we may worry or be concerned about the future, God told Jacob on how many accounts, I got this, dude. Like, trust me. I don't know if you've ever pictured God saying dude or not, but... There you have it. There's your image of the day. But 28, 15, and we'll read through 22 as we wrap up here. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And what is he saying there? Whatever you scheme up or whatever you think that you're in control of, the promise I'm going to keep. That's big. That's big. Because usually when I don't keep promises, it's my, what I wanted to do that got in the way. But what God wants to do is bless Jacob, whether he deserves it or not. Verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Because God spoke to him. How many times we use exclamation marks when we're at church together about the excitement we have and the enthusiasm. This must be God's place, right? He said, I'm indwelling all of you. You don't have to set up a stone. That's what Jacob does. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. In Hebrew, but the name of the city was Luz at first, which means pretty much the middle of nowhere. Once again, I'll say, think of Vantown. That's what I think of, anyways. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, if God will be with me. Now remember what God just said. If God will be with me, it will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. What, what does Jacob do? I'm not really in this covenant thing. Let's make a contract. When you do what you say you do, then you'll be my God. 
What has God already said? I'm going to do this whether you do what I told you to or not. It's pretty impressive. I like that because that's what the New Testament is mirrored. Verse 22, And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all of that, all that you give me I will give a full tenth to you. Now the interesting thing is, is if you remember Bethel stands for a very long time, and they actually build a temple at Bethel. And so not only are they reminded of God's greatness, they're also reminded of Jacob's kind of his lack of faith. And so there's this play on words here. Like you didn't trust that God was going to do what he said he's going to do. So let me tell you as an example what God has said he's going to do. If we're in Christ Jesus, he's going to save us. He's made that commitment to us. Even when our commitment is up and down. But we trust in the Lord. Do you trust in the Lord? That's the question this morning. Simply put, wherever you're at, you may, I've been, I was baptized 40 years ago. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, Travis Creasy. Awesome. Commit yourself today. Commit yourself today. Recommit yourself today. If you've never given your life to the Lord, why not? He just told Jacob, I challenge you, go read Jacob's story, right? And he says, regardless of what you do, this is often presented the other way, right? Like legalists. Like what I, what I do when I check these boxes, then God will. No, he says, you're it, Jacob. Now, the quicker you get on the train and trust what I'm telling you, the better. And the less anxiety and concern and worry and all those things, the better for you. But your worry and your anxiety and your concern does not change who God is and what God's going to do. God wants the best for you. And so he's always, we never have to go, I don't know why God's doing what he's doing. No, you know, because he loves you. Always, because that's who he is. So wherever you're at today, it's not cookie cutter, right? Whatever experiences you've had, you have a choice in the matter that is this going to point me towards God or am I going to do my own thing? But regardless of your decision, God is going to win. He's going to be successful in his plans. But he wants you to be on that team. So whatever decision you have to make, whether it's a public one or one you just need to make a decision in your heart, why not now? We're going to sing this song, and it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to encourage you wherever you're at in your journey, on your ascent to the presence of God, although he's already with you. You want to be closer to him. Just encourage you. Whatever you need, we as the hands and feet of Jesus look forward to an opportunity to love you, to pour into you whatever you may need so that you can be more and more like Jesus in your walk. Uh, we also have a time of share time. We're going to pass the microphone around uh, and, and give you an opportunity to share things that we might could pray for you or, or lift you up in prayer. We also like to celebrate if you got something good going on, man, whatever it is. Whether it's, hey, I'm alive, we'd love to celebrate with you in that. And so that song that we're about to sing is to encourage you to stir your mind up of things that maybe you need to bring before this body and give us a tremendous blessing and opportunity to love on you a little bit in whatever aspect you may need. And uh, we'd love for you to think of something as we stand and sing.